quickly to his master and spoke urgently in a clear young voice. There was another pause, and then the master spoke again in yet another tongue, one which he could not put a name to and nevertheless somehow understood. A rising and falling speech, musical. I will not evade the will of heaven. Tell me. He is Dutch, the servant answered in that same language, reluctance clear in every word. He might have raised his head to speak. He was not Dutch, and knew that if very little else. But he was cold, and his limbs heavier with every moment. Master, let us go on. Enough, the tenor voice said, quiet but final. He heard orders given in the unfamiliar language while darkness stole over his vision. There were hands on him, their warmth welcome. He was lifted from the ground and slung into a sheet or a net for carrying. He could not even open his eyes to see. The company moved on, suspended in mid-air, swinging steadily back and forth as they went on. He felt almost as though he were in a hammock aboard ship, swaying with the water. The movement lulled him, his pain dulled. He knew nothing more. "'William Lawrence,' he said, and woke with his own name at least restored to him, out of a tangled dream full of burning sails and a strange weight of despair, a sinking ship. It faded as he struggled up to sit. He had been lying on a thin pad laid upon a floor of woven straw matting in a room like none he had ever seen before. One solid wooden wall, the rest of translucent white paper set in frames of wood, and no sign of doors or windows.' He had been bathed and dressed in a robe of light cotton. His own clothes were gone, and his sword. He missed the latter more. He felt adrift, robbed of place and time. The chamber might have been a solitary hut, or a room in the centre of a great house. It might be set upon a mountaintop, or the seashore. He might have slept an hour, a day, a week. A shadow abruptly loomed on the other side of the wall furthest from his bed, and the wall slid open along a track to furnish Lawrence a glimpse of a corridor, and another room across standing half open, indistinguishable from his own, save for a window which looked out on a slim cherry tree with bare, dark branches. A young man, not very tall but gangly with recent growth, perhaps sixteen, came through the opening and folded himself into the low-roofed chamber while Lawrence stared at him blankly. He was oriental, a long face with a sharp chin, clean-shaven and softened with the last remnants of puppy fat. His dark hair was drawn back into a tail, and he wore an intricately arranged set of robes, creases as sharp as knife edges. He sat down on his heels and contemplated Lawrence in turn, with an expression bleak enough to be aimed at a plague carrier. After a moment he spoke, and Lawrence thought he recognized the voice, the youth who had wished him left by the road— "'I have not the least notion what you are saying,' Lawrence said, his voice sounding hoarse in his own ears. He cleared his throat, even that much struck his head with fresh pain. "'Can you speak English or French? Where am I?' He tried those tongues both, and then, hesitating, repeated the last over in the other language which the men had spoken on the road. "'You are in Chikosan province.' the young man said, answering him in kind, and far from Nagasaki, as you must well know. There was a sharp bitterness to his voice, but Lawrence seized on the one familiar name. Nagasaki, he said, half in relief. 
but the momentary gratification faded. He was no less bewildered to know himself in Japan, at the other side of the world from where he ought to have been. The young man, too old for a page, and he wore a sword, an equerry of some sort, or a squire, Lawrence could only guess, made no answer, only with a curt gesture motioned him off the mat. Lawrence shifted himself onto the floor, with some awkwardness and pain. The ceiling was too low to have permitted him to stand unless he had hunched over like a toad, and he ached in every part. Two servants came in at the young man's call. They tidied the mat away into a cabinet and offered Lawrence fresh garments, baffling in their lairs. A father clumsy child under their valeting, thrust one way and then another as he put his limbs continuously in the wrong places. Then they brought him a tray of food, rice and dried fish and pungent broth, with an array of startling pickles. It was by no means the breakfast he would have chosen, his stomach unsettled.